Uh, we've been doing the series on, on the Sabbath, and I don't know if you are tired of it or not, <laughs> but um, I, I, I think I'm starting to get it. I think I'm starting to, to, to actually live this thing out for myself, and it's life-giving. It's, it's everything that we need is present with the Sabbath. And it's so hard for us, I think, to actually embrace that, to actually get it, that, that it, it takes some time. Nothing that we, we do here, I, I hope, is ever going to be a throwaway, like I've said before. You know, th- these are meant to be realized in, in action in, in our lives in a way that changes us, that shapes us, that forms us. And I think that as a culture, we have just ignored the Sabbath for so long because we have other values. Uh, we value work. We value notoriety. We value, you know, what you can do with your time. And, and the Sabbath is really an affront to that. The Sabbath is really just this way of saying, uh, no, <laughs> that's not what my life is going to look like. That's not the way I, 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 I want to order myself. I, I don't give myself to my job. I don't give myself to my career. I give myself to my father. It is a change from most of the values that I know that I was raised with. Um, not that my parents did a bad job, but you know, you, you, you hear this thing like, what are you going to be when you grow up? This becomes your identity. It becomes the focal point of your, of your days and your weeks and your years and the trajectory of your life. You know, my, my, my life is going to be the evidence by my career and how far I went. My life is going to be evidenced by, you know, how much I provided for my family. And having the Sabbath define us as a rhythm, as a routine, as the rest that we're going to be entering into it's a whole different identity. Uh, and and I, I think that having as a side idea, as a, as a concept, has never sat well with me. And I just kind of put it on the shelf for years of like, I'll get into that at some point in time. And as we started preaching this, the series, um, it just, it, it wasn't hitting. And so now uh, we, we have this week and next week in the series. And I think it's going to leave a lasting impact on, on my life. And I hope yours as well. Um, and, and I still love this slide with the one music note elevated, but if you are a musician, yes, it should probably be a rest note, not a music note, but it is what it is. Uh, I want to set the scene for you. So uh, I've got a picture for this one. Uh, you can still see this in a number of communities, but just imagine yourself in a setting where you know when the Sabbath comes around, you can't drive, all right? You can't travel so far. You can't walk so far. So what do we do? Well, so every Sabbath, the community walks to the synagogue together. So everybody gets out of their house. They all have their breakfast. Then they all families, you know, communities, neighbors, everybody goes out to walk to the synagogue together. And so as you're walking, as you're taking the, this, this stroll to the synagogue, you know, it's like the, the, the neighborhood walk time. You know, like everybody talks and you're, you're sharing and you're laughing and there's jokes. You know, like whenever you're a kid and you're at the bus stop and, you know, you, you can't only stare at each other for so long and then you have to start talking after, you know, a little bit of awkwardness time. And, and you just develop these routines and these rituals, and, you know, and, and I, I, I love watching my kids at the bus stop when they don't know that I'm watching them. And what they start doing is they, they develop these games and these, these things that they do, and they share songs with each other. And it's this wonderful community that, that's birthed out of being together. And I, I think that this is absent from most of our lives. But just imagine if we as a church, if we all lived within a, a quarter mile of here, all right, and every Sunday morning, instead of just coming here, parking the parking lot, if we all walked from our homes, 
And we all came together, and, and our Sunday started by taking a walk together to come here. It would change community. I mean, it really would. It, it would be a completely different understanding of, of when your neighbor comes to your door and says, are you ready to go now? And, and you do this thing together. And for the Jewish community, when they were having their Sabbath, this was the routine that they would have to have because they were not allowed to drive. They were not allowed to, to, to ride their horses. They were not allowed to, to take these walks too far. So you would see around the synagogues these small local communities because everybody had to live within a certain distance or else they couldn't make it to synagogue. And you still see communities of Orthodox Jews where they will have these clusters because they have to walk together because it's a different sort of approach to this. So a lot of the Psalms were written for people in this context. So they would have songs and they would have these songs that they would sing. So whenever they would take their pilgrimages to Jerusalem, there was a few songs that we talked about before that they would sing on their way to Jerusalem. And there's a, a psalm that we have for the Sabbath day. And that's Psalm 92. Psalm 92 was written for the Sabbath. In our day, it was actually set to music in, in two fantastic ways. Schubert used it as one of his pieces, um, but it was also used as a part of the Holocaust Memorial. And I think that that is something that really causes us to pause when we understand that this was used and set to music in such a way to remember those who died, those who went to their eternal rest, those who, who knew of violence, those who, who knew of war, and they were memorialized, they were remembered with this psalm. It's actually famously reported in the Midrash. Midrash is not, by the way, scripture, but it was used in the Midrash as to be said by Adam on the Sabbath. Now, Adam as in Adam and Eve. So this is supposedly back then, this is something that Adam said on the Sabbath, which is relevant not because I, I believe that, um, but because there's a difference about uh, a song or a psalm that we have that's about something and something that's used for something. So I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Like if, if you have a, a teaching about something, right, then it, it's going to give you a, the outline. It's going to give you the context of this, and it's going to fill in the, those gaps. But if you just use a song for something, then you understand that it, it's kind of the embodiment of the thing itself. It's a, it's a part of that. It's like happy birthday to you, right? You sing happy birthday, you know, and it doesn't explain what a birthday is. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't walk you through those things, but it's a part of what you do on that day. It kind of embodies the spirit of it. So Psalm 92 isn't so much a, a great exposition on why the Sabbath is what the Sabbath is, but it, it kind of has that, that spirit of the Sabbath throughout it and being understood that it's used on the Sabbath as an expression of it as, as well. So sometimes we just do things rather than teaching them, and that is Psalm 92. So if you've got your Bibles, you can flip or scroll or open it up to Psalm 92. Psalm 92. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-string lyre, the melody of the harp, for you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. How profound your thoughts. The senseless man does not know. Fools do not understand. That though the wicked spring up like grass, and all evildoers flourish, they will be forever destroyed. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. For surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. 
You've exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured upon me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in him. So just to go through this a a little bit before I, I dive into the heart of it, it starts off with this idea of the song, It is good to praise the Lord. And I think that we, we read these things, and I don't know if you've ever sat down and gone through the Psalms, but it's really easy to, to just start reading them and, and skip over. Yeah, 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 the harp. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, okay, it's good, 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 merciful, mer- you know, and you read these things as if we're reading them, you know, to understand or to get some teaching out of them, but that's, that's not how we really appreciate a Psalm. You know, the, 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 the embodiment of this, as, as we start this off saying that it is good to praise the Lord, that's not a throwaway statement. It's not something that I think we should skip over, because it's not that it's necessary. In this part, it's not even saying that, that it's because he's worthy. It's not that it's our duty. It's a goodness to praise the Lord. It's a goodness to praise the Lord. It's good to praise him. And we don't appreciate goodness enough. We don't appreciate what, what goodness means because I think goodness is, is often overshadowed or, or downplayed or it's like snickerdoodles. You know, they're, they're pretty good. And, and, <laughs> and we have things that, that, are, that are good and, <laughs> and, and we, don't, we don't take the time to appreciate that it's good. And we just think, I, I need to get on to, to something else. It, it, there, I have to get to something that, that, that is going to be a, a structure that I can build a memorial or, or something that, that's going to, to have some impact. But a goodness, something that nourishes us, something that, that actually sustains us, something that, that takes care of us, it's a goodness to us. And then it goes on to say that you make me glad by your deeds. And sometimes I think that we approach God as a hard pill to swallow. You know, you make me glad by your deeds. You know, does he? Because God's goodness and, and God's stuff that he does, does that really give me joy? Does that really satisfy my soul? Or am I really counting on other things to do that? Like, what brings you joy in this life? You know, what, what brought you joy on Valentine's Day? Was it the chocolate? Was it the flowers? Was it the love of somebody else? Where do we turn to for our joy, our satisfaction? And his deeds, the things that he does, I think we often feel like it is a, a chore, or maybe it's for certain people. You know, th- those, those really religious people, like they can be very stoic or, or whatever, and then they can be religiously minded, and, and all of a sudden, you know, they say, oh, I delight in your deeds, O Lord, and what we mean by that is deep inside of me. Deep inside in this part of my soul, I feel, I feel some satisfaction in what God does. And only certain types of pious people might get that. God's deeds make me glad. Do they bring me joy? Money might make us glad. Food might make us glad. Success will make us glad. And just with that turn then, I want you to understand that we're right in the heart of the Sabbath. We're right in the heart of the Sabbath. What actually brings us joy? What actually brings us satisfaction? Is it the things that we do? Is it the work of our hands? Is it the way that we spend our time? Or is it God's rest, God's rhythm, the things that God does? And the Sabbath, this whole idea, is, is actually finding our, our roots, finding them grounded, finding them connected to who he is. 
as Leah was, was, was talking about this a few weeks back, it's the satisfaction, it's the fullness of what he has done. He created the earth, he created all of this, and then he rested, he Sabbathed because it was good, because it was complete. Can we take that satisfaction or are we always looking to the next thing? Are we always trying to find the next thing, the next no? We're, we're not content now. We, we need something else. We need to, to do something else, and we're always driving this forward. You make me glad by your deeds. It means that we can actually appreciate what he's done, that we can take peace in that. We can find rest in that. It's not just for the pious people. It's not just for the religiously-minded folks. It's for all of us. There's a, a line from uh, The Office which I always laughed at because Michael is the horrible manager that nobody can quite stand. Um, but after, after a certain inside joke came around the office, he goes, ooh, I love inside jokes. I, I hope to be part of one one day. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that sometimes the Sabbath is, is that way that we look at this. I, I see other people can appreciate things. I see that other people can be content you know, with what God's done. I hope maybe one day, I'll be able to find my rest. I hope that maybe one day I'll be able to find some peace. But that's for other people right now. That, that's, that's for people that have already accomplished something with their life. That, that's for people who already are in, in their retirement stage. You know, it's for people, it's not for, for me where I have kids in the house. It's not for me whenever, you know, I'm still in school. It, that's, that's, I'm going to defer that to some other day. But if we actually say that I can find peace with God, I can actually find joy with God, if we say, you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. If we can actually find our satisfaction in his work, the rest is for you. The rest, I mean, not, 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 the, uh, the, not the other stuff. The rest is for you. The Sabbath is for you because God has done it. Because Jesus did it. Because it's accomplished on the cross. Because it's satisfied already. Because his deeds bring us joy. It's actually a really important idea, and it's right here in the beginning of this psalm. That's not even the main thing I want to get to. <laughs> Verses 9 through 11. Surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evil, evildoers will be scattered. You've exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured upon me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. We see something amazing here, too, and again, with songs, it's easy to skip over this and not understand what it's actually trying to say. But we have two groups of enemies here, God's enemies, my enemies. With the work that God has done, our enemies need to be lined up. That his enemies are my enemies. Not that my enemies become his enemies. Not because, oh, I have this pet peeve against this person. God, take care of them for me. You know? <laughs> I d God, I just really want you to do something about this person because I'm so tired of it. But his enemies, our enemies, the battles that we fight become the same battles. Sometimes we can't find rest. Sometimes we can't stop fighting because we're fighting the wrong battles. We're fighting the wrong enemies. We have, if you've ever felt safe in a place where you actually can rest, it's a wonderful thing. But if, if you've ever heard a creak in the night and you're terrified of that, you know, if you've ever known that there's been burglaries up and down the neighborhood and you can't find your peace, if you've ever had this idea that, that there's somebody could come in here at any moment and I'm not ready for this and you feel scared, you can't rest. And we see God's peace means that his enemies have been taken care of. 
which means that my enemies have been taken care of. Because he and I are on the same page. We fight the same fights. They become the same group of people, the same group of, of battles, the same things that, 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 are, that we're about here. A commonality between God's enemies and my enemies. How many times, church, do we fight that which God loves and we try to love that which God hates? How many times do I love my sin and I try to hold on to that because, you know, it's really comfortable. This addiction, it's not really hurting anybody. Like, I, I, can, I can struggle with this for another, another 10, 15, 20 years, and it's just, it's just in the quietness of my own life. It's just in these dark hours of, of night where I do this. It, it's all fine. Greed, greed's okay, right? I mean, we're all a little greedy. I'm not as greedy as those people, you know? Like, it, it's, it's fine. My, my gluttony, my, my pride, like, is it really a problem for that? And I don't want to fight these fights, but that's what God's finger is on. That's his enemy right there. That's, that's the sin he's trying to get at, and I'm trying to make peace with it. And so every time that I try to have peace, every time that I try to go to bed, every time I do this, God's at war with something. There's still something going on, and I don't have this peace, and I can't join with him in his peace because that enemy has not been defeated. Because I'm not joining with him on what he's doing. And so I have this unrest in my life because I'm fighting the wrong fights. I'm on the wrong side of these things. Sometimes we're denied this rest because we're at war with ourselves. Sometimes even when we try to Sabbath, we can't find it because the enemies at our gates aren't God's enemies. They're fights that he's fighting. Verses 12 through 15. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They'll flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He's my rock, and there's no wickedness in him. This conclusion, uh, this picture, is the heart of what I want to say this morning. And uh, we're actually going to flip to other parts of Scripture to, to understand this fully. Jeremiah 17 is actually where we're going to go from this. It, it gives us an, an additional insight to the psalm. Um, the psalm's quoted in part, but Jeremiah then gives a, a renewed and practical call to the Sabbath. So it's really interesting to see that, that Jeremiah, he knew, of course, what the psalm was written for that's used on the Sabbath. So he pulls out this part of it. He mentions this part of it, and then he says, and remember, people, the Sabbath. We have, we have not been faithful to what God has called us to. We, we haven't joined with God in, in his rest. We're still fighting the wrong fights here. In the middle of this, we have some of the most famous passages in Jeremiah 2. So if you've got your Bibles now, flip on over to Jeremiah 17. I'm going to read this for us. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool, inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts, and on the horns of their altars. Even their children remember their altars and asher poles beside the spreading trees and on the high hills. My mountain and the land and your wealth and all your treasures I will give away as plunder together with your high places because of sin throughout your country. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know, for you have kindled my anger, and it will burn forever. This is what the Lord says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. You'll be like a bush in the wastelands. You will not see prosperity when it comes. You will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in the salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water 
sends out its roots by the stream, does not fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green, it has no worries in a year of drought, and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Like a partridge that hatches eggs it did not lay, to the man who gains riches by unjust means. When his life is half gone, they will desert him. In the end, he will prove to be a fool. A glorious throne exalted from the beginning is the place of your sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are the one I praise. They keep saying to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. I have not run away from being your shepherd. You know I have not desired the day of despair. What passes my lips is open before you. Do not be a terror to me. You're my refuge in the day of disaster. Let my persecutors be put to shame, but keep me from shame. Let them be terrified, but keep me from terror. Bring on them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. And then we see right here with Jeremiah, the call to, the, to keep the Sabbath holy. If you're careful to obey me, verse 24, and bring no load through the gates of the city on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy by not doing any work. And kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of the city with their officials. They and their officials will come riding in chariots and on horses, accompanied by the men of Judah, those living in Jerusalem. This city will be inhabited forever. So all this, this poetic talking, all, all this understanding of, of the Lord doing the work. If you heal me, if it's your work, I will be healed. If, if you save me, I will be saved. It's the Lord's work. And then he says, remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. We can't do this work on our own. It's not your work that matters here. It's the Lord's work. It's, it's his enemies. We see the same language again. It's, it's his enemies. And if we're making the, the arm, if we're fighting uh, the wrong fights, we're missing the whole point here. But what is Judah's sin here? Of course, the Sabbath. Of course, they broke the Sabbath. But that's not where this thing starts off. The judgment he speaks against in the very beginning is idolatry. You've heard about these Asher poles. You, you, we, we've seen this from time to time. We know that this story, that it's like every king. If you've read the Old Testament, Asher pulls this, Asher pulls that. What, what is that? What do we understand for that? Well, I actually have some, some pictures here of the Asher poles. Um, I, for, in my mind, whenever I first heard these things, I thought of them like a maypole, like, like they're sticking these sticks up there, and, and you know, like that's like what they're worshiping that. They were actually often these carved uh, idols as well. So they were, they were fertility, and they were phallic, and all sorts of things like that. But they would actually put these, these faces and these, these bodies on them, and then they would worship these things. And what was really interesting as I was going through this, this isn't the, the end of the whole thing, because versus um, Deuteronomy 16.21, the NIV is often what, what we use. It's, it's been joked that NIV stands for necessary in vineyard. But the NIV actually does a, a disservice here because the NIV in Deuteronomy 16.21 says, don't plant a tree, um, I'm sorry, can you pull that up? Yeah, do not set up any wooden Asherah pole beside the altar you built to the Lord your God. I geeked out on this this week because this was one of the coolest things for me to understand. You, you hear this and you think of this, you know, building up these altars, but then in the Young's Literal and the ESV and almost every other translation, it says this, 
Do not plant a tree near the altar of Jehovah thy God, which you make for yourself. You shall not plant any tree as an asherah beside the altar of the Lord your God that you shall make. Don't plant a tree there. A tree, a grove. What they were doing is they were planting these trees that they would grow up and then they were worshiping those trees. These trees, then they, they might carve on them. They might do these things to them. But they came from planting trees. And the reason I geeked out on this, the, the reason why I, I really got stuck in the word for this is because it's this idea of them being living things. The roots were connected in there. These were not like idols that were set up and then they could be torn down. They had roots. They were connected to something. And that whole idea that God was trying to say here is, your roots have to be connected to me. If you're, if you're worshiping this thing, you've built this here, those roots are going into that, that altar area. If that's where you're worshiping, we're missing the whole point. You need to be connected to me. The roots are what matter. So Jeremiah, whenever he's talking about these Asherah poles, then he talks about the fruit that you need to bring and the roots that you have, comparing it to roots that are in a, a desert, in a dry place, and then the roots that you have in the fertile place when you're connected to the Sabbath. It's this whole picture that he's talking about. What are we connected to? You've sinned, Judah, because you've, you've put these things right there by the altar of the Lord. They're, they're rooted in there, and you're coming to those things. You're, you're trying to, to get your life from them. But remember Psalm 92, remember the Sabbath, remember this call that our roots will be grounded in what the work that God has done. That our roots are connected to the living God. That they're not in a dry place, they're, they're, they're not connected to ourselves, we're not trying to sustain ourselves. That it, it's not these false gods that, that maybe promise things but don't have it. Our roots have got to be connected to God himself. We're not all like trees planted by the water with roots connected. Some of us are like a bush in the wastelands. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water, sends out its roots by the stream, does not fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought. It never fails to bear fruit. Where are our roots connected? Is the Sabbath, is God's rest, is God's accomplished works something that gives us joy, something that we can take rest in, something we can take comfort in? Or are we really trying to do this thing ourselves? Are we really trying to be the self-made man and, and, and woman that, that are... Our, our forefathers always wanted us to be? Are we really trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and make a name for ourselves? Etch it in stone and, and just be proud of the work of my hands. These are the things I have accomplished. Is that really the way we want to do it? Or do we want to be like a tree planted by the stream with the roots connected to the source of life that we don't fear when heat comes, that we can stand up, we can do what we need to do because we have the life of God as our life, as our source Verses 14 through 18 describes for us that Sabbath life connected to God, pulling life from our roots. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are the one I praise. They keep saying to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. I've not run away from being your shepherd. You know I've not desired any day of despair. It passes my lips is open before you. Praise of the Lord. The word of the Lord. The hope of the Lord. 
his healing, his source, his life. We live in a culture where our roots in the spiritual sense are defined by the content of our beliefs. And we want to believe the right thing and not the wrong thing. And sometimes that belief is, is really life-giving to us too because when you really believe something, it can help guide you through a storm. If I really believe that God is good, that he's going to work this thing out, then I, I have kind of that inner strength to, to get me through that. Our roots are expressed often in prayers and petitions and worship songs and in the words that we share with each other. We give a lot of credence to ideas, beliefs, and thoughts and understandings. Like we have an orthodoxy, a correct belief. And so we put so much stock in the ideas that are in our heads. And we've moved away from practice. And orthopraxy is what Judaism was. It, it, it was the correct practices. They would do the things that were correct. And that was where they expected their life and their, their, their blessing to come from. And we have actually done a, a real disservice, I think, to, to focus so much on the inner thoughts that we have in our heads and the, the ideas that we hold on to that we think are true or, or not, and we judge each other by those thoughts too. You know, you want to read somebody's statement of beliefs, and you want to say, yeah, okay, I can't go to that church. They, they have a, a, a bad statement of, of, of belief. They, they don't do this thing well. What about the practices of the Holy Spirit where his lifeblood is being given? What about the practices of love that are being demonstrated through the churches and we want to judge, and we want to, we want to exclude, and we want to do all this stuff based on beliefs. And I'm not getting away from that. Correct beliefs matter a great deal, but they need to be realized. They need to be practiced. Those roots have got to be connected and demonstrated where this life is coming from. It's not one or the other. It's got to be both and. And I think that often the Sabbath has been this idea that we have, but we don't actually practice it because, you know, we're New Testament people. You know, so, so we want to have this, this division, we want to have this separation between what I think and what I agree with, and then what I actually end up doing. And we are hypocritical in that sense. And the world is so sick and tired of seeing a hypocritical church that, that says one thing out of one side of their mouth and then goes and does something else. That we talk about being loving, and then we show hate and malice. We show fear and anxiety when we say, no, but I have peace inside. And the world looks, and they're like, where is it? <laughs> We need church to realize our beliefs by our practices. And really, of course, this is coming from James. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Where are we actually pulling our beliefs from? Where are we actually practicing our, our things that we believe? Do we actually have Sabbath in us? I've, I've said this before. I'll, I'll say it again. You know, I, I realize sometimes I'm in a hurry, but really the hurry is in me, right? It's not that I'm in a hurry. It's that the hurry is in me. I, I can't stop myself because I have so many things that I feel I have to do because I see myself as the source of my life. I see my strength and my ability as the extent of the goodness that I can have in this life. If I was just stronger, if I was just better, if I was just somehow more sufficient, then I could be a better dad, then I could be a better soccer coach, then I could be a better employee. I could do all these things. I just need to be better myself. That's not Sabbath. That's not what, what he's talking about. Heal me and I will be healed. Save me. I will be saved. I take joy in your deeds, Lord, not in mine. I can worship because of who you are and what you've done, not because I've finally made it to myself where I can finally rest I can finally say, I've accomplished enough for this day. I can do this. Sabbath 
has to be realized. It has to be practiced. I think we've been pulled back and forth through this whole thing as a command or as a discipline. It is punishable before. We have grace now, and we're in this weird place. But I think these words that Jeremiah has really speak well for the Sabbath, a blessing or a curse. We can read that as the active approach God takes towards us, um, but the idea that he has of who is cursed is amazing because you're cursed because your roots aren't connected to anything good. We all have these roots. We all have these practices. We all are in a place, but what are we rooted into? The, 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 the curse comes whenever your roots aren't where they need to be connected to. It's a self-fulfilling thing. <laughs> you're not connected to anything. You, you can't actually live. You can't actually do this. But if you're connected to God, we have life. In this sense, we actually see a holistic view on creation. If we fight against God's ways, we're punishing ourselves. If we fight against God's ways, we're punishing ourselves. If we refuse his goodness, where else can we find it? If we argue with the morality and justification of his laws, to what justice will we run? Roots have got to be connected. Roots have got to be connected. There's this idea of them being so present, we're attached, we're dependent. These are the things that counteract what we are taught in the world, to be independent, to prove yourself. So I want us to look at John 15 to, to wrap this thing up. John 15. You might know this one by heart, but you might not know it until you, you hear the beginning of it. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown to the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As, my f as the Father has loved you, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends, for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. It's like his whole point. The, like he keeps coming to this. Be connected. Be connected. And it, is it a command? Yeah, it's a command to love. That's the, that's the fruit. That, that's, the whole, that's the whole thing coming through these roots. That's where we need to go with this. That's the extension of this whole thing. And if we're cut off, if we don't have that, you can't have joy. You can't have fruit. You can't have life. I, I brought a branch. Here, here's a, here's a branch. 
and it, it's already started withering. It didn't take very long at all. Do, do you think, church, really, and, and this is the amazing thing about this, why I wanted to actually have a branch for this, if we tried our best, could we make this thing bear fruit? I mean, like, at best we could, like, tape an apple or something. <laughs> like, like, like just, just try to get some fruit. Like, but if we really tried to give this thing life, if we really, like, we're smart people, right? I mean, we, we got a great intellect in this room. Like, we, we're kind people on our own. Like, we're, we're, we're nice enough. But this thing cannot bear fruit. We can't, it can't do it because it's not connected. Because it's not connected. We try to live this way where we're like, we have this whole thing. I can build. I can build with this. I can make, maybe make a, make a, I don't know what I can make out of this. <laughs> Get enough of these, I can make like a, a little toy log cabin. You know, like, like we, we think that that's what we can do. And that's really the best that we can do, playing with dead things that are disconnected. We can build models to ourselves and to our, our own ingenuity, but they can't bear fruit. They can't have life. And we have been trying so hard to bring life to dead things. We, we've been trying so long trying to sustain ourselves, trying to, to make a way for ourselves, when the whole point of this thing is we've got to be connected to the Father. If we're not connected, if we don't have our roots in that, we're done for. We're done for. God revisits this picture, this metaphor, so many times. Hey, guys, stay with me. It's, it's, it's better here. <laughs> I've made a way for you. You have a home here. Hey, guys, listen to my words. My words will bring you life. Hey, remain in my love. Abide in me. Really, you can't bear fruit without me. You can't have joy without me. This is the only way we can move forward. I want to close by reading Psalm 92 one more time. With all these words, with all this description, like I said, Psalm 92 is wonderful because it's the embodiment of the Sabbath. Less than a teaching about the Sabbath, it embodies the heart of the Sabbath, the being connected to the Father, that we can say this, we can sing this, we can use this on the Sabbath because of who he is and what he's done. We can find rest, we can find Sabbath. And these words make more sense in that context. And as I read this, think, which plant are you like? With connected roots leading to a daily abundance of what you need? Or are you like a desert plant, alternating between starving and gluttony, withering in the off-season? Sometimes I feel like we're dragons hoarding our wealth. We're like Gollum guarding our vacation days, like, like they're precious. We, we defer life until later so that we can do the important stuff now. We defer our hopes and our dreams and our time, none of which is guaranteed. But God has promised us a rich Sabbath here and now and regularly. It's good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. How profound your thoughts. The senseless man does not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all, evil, all evildoers flourish, they will be forever destroyed. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. For surely your enemies, O Lord, 
Surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You've exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured upon me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They'll grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He's my rock. There's no wickedness in him. I hope uh, you don't hear these words and feel judged or condemned with the way that you're living your life, because I have. <laughs> but what I go from is just this hope. There's a better way. There's a better way than, than what I've been doing. There's a better way than, than the way I've been trying to do this thing. Th there's life to be had. There's joy to be had. There's satisfaction to be had. And church, I want to invite you into that right now. We're going to do our combination of ministry and worship and praise and, and offering and all these things. I believe that everybody here, um, you, you've come to either get something or give something. All right? Some of you came and, and you have some completed works. And you need to give that away to the people around you. Could be a word of encouragement. Could be a blessing. Could be a hug. Or you could give it to the Lord. Give him your praise. But if you came to, to get, if your roots have not been connected, if you, if you don't have this life, if you need that, now's the time. Now's the time. Now's the time to give. Now's the time to get. And wherever you're at, whatever your needs are, find it.